Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show, the fantasy baseball show that throws behind Astros hitters. Your host, D-Mendy, here, joined by Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Lil Cheesecake. What's up, my man? Oh, I'm just here uh, for, for Nomar Garcia Parra roasting Major League Baseball on MLB.tv, calling them an embarrassment for uh, for, for the eight-game suspension. Um for Joe Kelly. Uh, I'm here for that all day, all week, uh, twice on Sunday. I've totally missed that. I was here for our guy Oral Hershiser's rant, or not even a rant, but when he talked about it on the broadcast, and he said it's harder to guess than know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> that, that's great. That was great. Oh, he, Oral, I love he just speaks his mind, but he, he was right. And Speaking of Oral, another guy that was part of that episode, Eric Mendelson, a.k.a. The Doc, is also here. What's up? Ooh, The Doc. Doc Holiday, R.I.P. But my intro goes out to uh, Dodgers pitchers Joe Kelly, hashtag free Joe Kelly, and Oral Hershiser. Y'all are real ones. Love you guys. Well, on deck tonight, we have... Terrific talent and troubling trends. We are one week into the baseball season, and we're going to look at some players who have looked terrific, players who have looked troubled so far. We're also going to determine if these trends that we're seeing we should look further into, potentially add some of these borderline free agents onto your fantasy team. Or maybe we're souring on some of these players, and you might want to sell high on them or just completely cut bait. So it's going to be a great discussion. After that, we go to our bullpen for our question of the week. What is the best ballpark feature in Major League Baseball? And no game this week, but we promise you we will be back to that next week, just like normal. But first, up to bat is our news and notes. And breaking news, Jeff Passan just tweeted out approximately within the last 30 minutes. Major League Baseball and MLB, the MLB Players Association, have agreed to stage seven-inning doubleheaders starting August 1st. Sources familiar with the situation told ESPN. The number of doubleheaders expected to take place on account of rescheduled games due to the current and potential coronavirus outbreaks as well as weather-related postponements. Shortening games to seven innings was a compromise that was made rather quickly. And one key thing he notes is that the extra innings runners on second rule will still apply in these doubleheader games with the runner going on second starting in the eighth inning. So, interesting to unpack. This is starting August 1st, so this is literally starting in two days. What are your thoughts, Eric, when you saw this? The first thought that came to me was, this is how a lot of Marlins and Phillies games are going to be played. We're about, a lot of teams are five or six games into the season, and I think they're only three in. So especially since they want to get this done by the 27th of September, it seems like that's kind of the only choice they have to get a lot of these doubleheaders in. So you're probably going to see a lot of um, players on these teams maybe not have as good stats as others. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I'll say that this is this is what MLB kind of needed to do on a short season. You need to improvise, um, you know, with with the pandemic. Art, what were your thoughts when you saw this? I have a ton of thoughts. My first thought is how this is going to affect gameplay, managerial decisions. I think all of you in quality starts leagues are going to have a tough time with these seven-inning doubleheaders because the quality start is still going to be six innings, three earned runs. Uh, And I think the way managers are going to manage these is five and then then set-up guy, closer, six and seven. We're not going to see quality starts uh, 
nearly as much in these. Uh, I think we we might see some complete games uh, because guys are just dealing for seven, and you know almost any uh, established major league starter can go seven. But I think most of these are going to be short games. I think um, there's a there's the the other thing is is um, in thinking about it is is this is really going to compact the season. Uh, for people trying to get all these games in, it was already compact, 60 games in 66 days, which is two to three days less than it would normally take to play 60 games. Now they're going to add double headers on some of these days. This is going to cause for a lot of tired players. I, I, I mean, I was hoping that this little uh, snafu with the Marlins and the Phillies meant they added like a few days onto the season, but but obviously they're sticking to there. We have to be done by September 27th thing. And this is really going to make a lot of uh, uh, really compact the season down to to uh, to to fit these 60 games in. Well said, both you guys. My thoughts for fantasy purposes is this is chaos. This is complete chaos. When I saw this news, you'll have if you have two games on a lot of days, then if I have a closer coming in and pitching in the first game of the doubleheader, he's most likely not pitching in the second game of the doubleheader. So now if you have multiple doubleheaders, then you're listing out on half the saves potentially from a closer that you would have. Another thing that came to my mind is that obviously you thought the hooks were quick now. It's like with two innings shorter, if after one inning a starter gives up three runs, then hey, you only have you have you know six innings after that to catch up. You know, it's like. Um, it's crazy to me cause I'm just looking at it. It's like, there, is there going to be more middle relief going to take a, a more of a step up here? Like, uh, get them getting more wins. Uh, there's going to be more bullpens being used. Hitters are going to be subbed out more platoon splits already were high. They're going to be even higher. Um, they'll be looking at, they're facing two righties and, uh, maybe someone like a, a Jock Peterson. They're like, okay, well, we want to only use you for one of those righties and, Instead, he would be missing out on some games he would be playing. And I, I mean, there's so many different types of possibilities this brings, but I can't think of very many positive ones. So I, I think what was already chaotic for fantasy, closers falling off and hitters that we didn't expect to be good that we'll get to later on are, are popping out and hitters are, are coming out of the gate slow that we thought would be good. It's just this is just unbelievably messy, and I'm chaos. Yeah, I don't know where this is going to go, but we're all here for the ride. Next bit of news: Dodgers reliever Joe Kelly was suspended by Major League Baseball for eight games for his action in the bottom of the sixth inning of Tuesday night's 5-2 Dodgers win over the Astros. Kelly had appealed and was available, but did not pitch on Wednesday night. But Major League Baseball is upholding the suspension. Dusty Baker was fined. Dave Roberts was a received a one-game suspension. And the reason for Kelly's bigger suspension was due to, quote, previous suspension for intentional throwing and that Kelly threw a pitch in the area of the head of Bregman, taunted Correa. So it, all that led to his eight games. Art, I'll start with you. One, was the suspension fair? Two, what are your thoughts about beating the Astros going forward? No, it wasn't fair. Um, I think if you're going to deal out these draconian sus uh, suspensions of, you know, eight games in a 60-game season, then you do it after you've put the hammer down on the Astros because you are saying to these players, we have already taken care of this. You guys don't have to do your mob justice, your 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 way of doing things we have handled it we don't want any beanings baseball basically said we're just going to put that in our past we're going to move past this and you got dodgers out there who lost that world series you got yankees out there who lost that division series you got all these teams that lost to them that season they were a world series champion over 100 win team i think and and they get to walk away. The message that MLB is sending is, you can cheat. Uh, you, if you cheated before, you're fine. But don't be mad about them cheating. Uh, because we're going to lay the hammer on you. That's what they're saying. 
Eric, I'm bracing myself for your answer. Yeah, uh, first of all, I don't think it was fair. Eight games is 13% of the season. If we had 162 games, that would be 22 game suspension for throwing. I think that's unheard of. Also, Dave Roberts got suspended more games for being the manager of a team that threw than the entire Astros squad put together. Shout out Rob Manfred. You are an awful commissioner, and you just find a new way to get worse each day. Us baseball fans just want to get rid of you so much. I don't think any baseball fan likes you. I just needed to say that. I was just I, this is kind of late for you to get a Manford reference in, so I was just waiting for it. It's it's just new material each week. I don't even have to research anything. It just does something to embarrass MLB even more. True that. Speaking of players, Nick Markakis, he's coming back. The veteran outfielder has decided to rejoin the Braves for the remainder of the 2020 season. Markakis called it a rash decision and yearned to come back after watching the Braves' two and three road trip. So the rules for this works that I researched, as long as you are not considered an at-risk player, you can apply for reinstatement from the restricted list. Markakis applied and was granted permission to return. So Eric, I'll start with you. Any fantasy relevancy for Nick Markakis, would you go to try to pick him up? Uh, I wouldn't pick him up just because he's indecisive, and I don't like indecisive people on my fantasy teams, just a rule of mine. Um, but I do think he's going to have some value. I mean, he he was hitting over 300 last year. He's He's been a consistent hitter, and he's going to be hitting in a good lineup. I think he's going to have a decent amount of RBI and run opportunities. The Atlanta offense is kind of cold right now, and I know we're going to talk about some of the studs on that team that haven't been performing, but you look, and they have arguably one of the best lineups in the NL. Art, I have a feeling that you're going to go in the other direction. What are your thoughts? I, I like Mark Hakis. I think he's he's good as a fifth or fourth outfielder, depending on how deep your your league is. He's someone who should probably be picked up. But I am going to wait and see uh, how he adjusts um, in most leagues because uh, I don't I don't know exactly. I know the pitchers have come out and they've been better than the hitters so far. They've seemed more prepared for the season. This is a person who hasn't been seeing pitching. Uh, what are the Braves going to do with him? Are they going to put him right in the starting lineup as soon as he comes back? Uh, what are they? How are they going to handle this? I'm a little bit in wait and see mode, but I think he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Be ready uh, for for that ad if you have a guy that is not performing up to snuff. So listen to the experts. Someone looking at maybe as a fourth or fifth outfielder. Nothing really much more. If he gets some playing time, heats up, go snag him. Doesn't sound like it's a too big of a rush at this point. Last bit of news. Now there are two major league baseball teams that have officially been diagnosed with COVID. The Phillies had thought that they might be, and it confirmed today that two of their people on their staff, a coaching staff member and a clubhouse employee, both tested positive. So the Phillies will not be playing any games this week. Art are you concerned that this is going to spread further than these two teams, or do you think MLB nipped it in the bud with the two teams that are currently on COVID watch? I think that their rules are a little bit of a too little, too late uh, thing for it. They um, have to wear masks when traveling, uh, have to uh, stay in your hotel when you're on the road. Why was that not in the rules before? Why were they not wearing masks when traveling before? Why were the Marlins in an Atlanta strip club a week and a mm -hmm. half ago? Um, this is the uh, this is MLB once again showing that they didn't look at all the angles. They didn't think this through, even though they had months to think it through. Um, and and the other thing that is not really related to your question, but is something that I've been thinking of: What are the Marlins and Phillies going to be like after a week off? Like the Marlins are sitting in a Philadelphia hotel right now. What are they going to be doing when they come back on the field? And and they got 18 minor leaguers playing in their games. Oh, my God. The Marlins are going to be the team to pick on for DFS. <laughs> Art read my mind. Eric? Uh, yeah, I mean, Art said it pretty well. I think hopefully, you know, MLB can try to clean up their mess a little bit. I think the, the Marlins going to an Atlanta strip club should serve as an example to other players that, you know, you can try to do things – um, without being caught, but eventually it might catch up to you. Um, I, I just hope that 
these are the only two teams that do it, that the players realize that this is their profession and their job and to take it seriously. And that this is going to be probably, you know, two and a half, three more months. And yeah, you might not have a social life. You might not see your family, but you know, you're, you, you agreed to play the players association agreed to play, you know, do it for the fans who, you know, hopefully you got all of them back from the negotiations. Well said gentlemen. That I, I, said, I just, I just want to, once again, I want to contrast the Marlins with uh, Mike Moustakis and Nick Senzel, who self-reported and had to sit out a few days. And they didn't actually have coronavirus, but they self-reported not feeling well. And because of that, they had to sit out a few days. Chris Bryant said it today. uh, It's things like that that are going to get us through this season. Guys who are responsible, guys who are admitting that they're not feeling 100%. And you're going to have to sit out a few days if you have the sniffles. But guess what? That's the world we live in right now. I think it's also interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the Marlins have a uh, a team meeting and with everybody decide if they should play or not after they pretty much knew that there was something going on and they decided to play? Yeah. Yeah. They did. That's so irresponsible. Mattingly said it was uh, uh, Rojas, their veteran shortstop's decision to play. Mattingly is passing the buck to a player. That is so crazy. God, that's between strip clubs and deciding to play when you're sick. I mean, that that's just a mess. And I'm glad that they're not my team. With that being said, Melchior's crying. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Al, but we feel bad for you. Do you like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Want to hear more triple play? Great news for you. We have a fantasy football show. You can check out also available anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the content, how about being as cool as the other side of the pillow and leave us a five-star rating and review. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TripPlayFantasy. Eric runs our social media and provides daily questions with spoilers for movies you haven't seen, bland gifts, and of course our weekly episode drops. Be like the sunflowers that are on my wall and shine amongst your friends. When they ask why you're glowing, Tell them you listen to me roast Eric on Triple Play Fantasy. We want to keep you entertained, but it starts with you. Thank you, the loyal player, for your listens each and every week. Go ahead, Eric. I'm waiting for it. I just want to say, I do a great job running the social media. Don't be, <laughs> don't be mad that you just suck at social media and that you can't get any of my trivia questions right. You spoiled. I've never. I was gonna watch all the Avengers movies, like just spend a couple of weeks and just watch them all. And now I already know that I'm not even going to say it for anybody that hasn't seen it out there, but you put that up and that ruined it for me. Blame the internet for making that meme then. Don't, don't blame me for, for getting creative and searching. I blame you for everything. So that fits right on my brand. But I'm done blaming Eric. Let's get to our main content today. And we're one week into the season, two teams are on quarantine. There's closer chaos already. Hitters and pitchers that we thought would have been good have stunk. Hitters and pitchers we thought to be irrelevant are balling. Fits just right into 2020. There's a lot to dissect here, and I want to start off first with the Cleveland pitching staff. And Cleveland, this is for you. You already had the big three of Shane Bieber and... Mike Clevenger and Carlos Carrasco, who I think we weren't surprised that those three are balling out right now. Carrasco, I think, is a nice bounce back story, but no one's shocked. We have the two sidekicks, Aaron Savale and Zach Plesak. So, Art, is there one of these guys that have stuck out to you, and, and what about them specifically? I mean, they've both stuck out to me. I've du- I did some, I dug in a little bit on uh, Aaron Savale recently, and the thing that's interesting about him is Aaron Savale is only using his four-seamer about one out of every five pitches. Mm-hmm. But if you look at his – if you dig into his um, his numbers from last season, last year uh, his his barrel rate and his uh, Wobacon or Wobacon were both <laughs> – I, I don't know how to say that. Uh, we're both elite, and he was very effective in in the time he started last year. Uh, he was someone who was a really late grab. A lot of people thought might be there, and it turns out he's got he's got the goods so far. He started off very good this year. His uh, his current 
uh, XBA, XWOBA, and XSlugging are 215, 255, and 336 in his first start. So he's dealing. I, I'm loving uh, Savale's reliance on his secondary pitches to get him uh, get him these results. Very Cleveland-like. They, there's something in the water there. They, they just know how to, to groom pitchers. And I, I don't know if you mentioned this. Forgive me if you did. I saw they had over a 16% swinging strike rate, strike rate, and last year was 9%. So a 7% increase in his percentage of swinging strike rate, I think, has definitely helped. And, and Art, you definitely like you touched on it. 20% usage of his fastball and his pretty much just on cutters and curveballs and as we t- we know that the woba on secondary pitches is usually a lot higher than a fastball, and he's doing a lot of that and, and throwing a lot of it down and away, especially to righties. So I think that's really, or again, you touched on it and you you highlighted it beautifully. I think all this is contributing to his breakout in in a sense. Um, Eric, I know you're a big Zach Plesac guy. Um, is there anything about him specifically that you like, or just he's your guy? Uh, well, I'd like to throw it out by saying he's not your guy. You weren't big on him. No, I said your he, guy. Yeah, because I know he, you're not big on him. Zach Plesak had 11 strikeouts and zero walks the other day. Um, what I really like is he's starting out early uh, attacking the zone. Uh, I like that his delivery has a little bit of deception at the end. I think with these young guys, there's not a lot of film on them. So any hitch in their deliveries – or even just their pitch mix. You don't have as much scouting info as you would a veteran. He threw 98 pitches yesterday, 72 went for strikes, and 17 called strikes and 20 swinging strikes. So a good mix of kind of throwing hitters off balance. I don't think that he's going to throw eight shutout innings every game, but I do think, like you said, there's something in the water with Cleveland pitching. So I definitely think he should be rostered the rest of the year. And I think most of 15 team leagues he's already rostered. I think 12 is is kind of a little bit more up in the air. But, I mean, he threw eight innings, had 11 Ks and no walks, but he also threw under 100 pitches. And his fastball, he was throwing his fastball for strikes. His secondary stuff was getting whiffs. Um, he was just dirty. And, again, if he can – control, is as we know, is a big thing. And if he can control his fastball and then use his secondary stuff to get people to chase, I mean, that's a great combination. The one thing, if you are adding him right now, I don't know if they'll skip his turn in the rotation but because um, they have a, a rest day. But he is, I think, right now supposed to play Minnesota for his next start. So just keep that in mind. I know right now Shane Bieber is dealing. So I guess if you're just that good of a pitcher, that shouldn't matter even if you're placing the Twins. But um, just something to keep in mind. And uh, again, I, I mean, this just shows goes to show you any Cleveland pitcher in the rotation has potential. So yeah. maybe think that next year when drafts, if they bring up another pitcher. Well, I mean, you saw Adam Plutko. I think he came in and did a long relief and he was very good, too, in his long mm-hmm. relief stint. So, I mean, Cleveland, I mean, they've been doing this for a year. Kluber, Kluber has been relying on the secondary pitches for Cy Young Awards. Uh, I mean, they, they, this is how they room their pitchers. This is sort of the Corey Kluber model, the way they're do, the way Savale is working with his secondary pitches. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I, I, I watched a lot of that uh, game against the White Sox, and White Sox didn't know where the ball was going to be against Plesac. And that it was really impressive to see him just, just because the White Sox are a really good lineup. Uh, they strike out of it, but they're a really good lineup, and they just had no idea where the ball was going to be. Yes, and we're talking about some uh, good pitching staff. We're going to switch over to the other side of the ball, talk about some young studs hitting the ball. And right now, these these kids got a makeover, and the girls are flocking to the bar to go see them. And these guys, Kyle Lewis, Jacoby Jones, Mike Yastrzemski, these are three of the names that came to my mind. And Eric, I want to start with you. Is there any one of these three guys that you like that I want to talk about? Well, I, I think all three of them are good. And in fantasy, I think sometimes you got to ride the wave of, of who's hot. I mean, right now, Jacoby Jones is batting 421 and has three homers, six RBIs. Is he going to keep that up the rest of the year? No. But I think you pick him up because he's going to play every day in a Tigers lineup. He's shown a little bit of power. Um, and and hopefully, you know, maybe he has one or two more games that can help you pull out a, a victory. Um I don't know if you're going to touch on veteran hitters later that have been surprising. So cut me off if if I'm getting ahead of the game. 
No, no, keep going. You're fine. But but I you look at a lot of people that some were writing off. Nelson Cruz is batting 381 with three homers and 11 RBIs. He has the most total bases for someone over 40 in their first three games. Michael Brantley's hitting 435. Um, you know, one of the only Astros hitters that's doing well. Joey Votto, 304. A lot of people wrote him off after last year. Cal Seeger's hitting 333. So a lot of these players that had slipped in later rounds of drafts that a lot of people thought, oh, the veterans are, are going to be hurt by this short season are coming out of the gate smoking. No, I agree. Eric brought up Jacoby Jones and I agree Nelson Cruz, and we will touch more on him later that you did bring him up, but you talked about Jacoby Jones, eight for 19 with five extra base hits through six games this year. And one of the things I saw, and he's always been a streaky guy. And the thing that he's never started out the season hot, and he was quoted saying that he switched up his batting stance every single year. And last year, he finally kind of stopped trying to do that and just rested the bat on his shoulder, and he's done ever since. And when he started doing that in August of last year, he was 7 for 23 before he fractured his wrist when he got plunked by Jorge Lopez of the Royals. So I do think there's actually something here with him. And not like the Tigers have a bunch of great hitters. He's going to be in the lineup every day. I saw he was hitting ninth today, which I was a little discouraged to see that when you're someone that's been hitting that well at ninth. But uh, I think he's going to play every day, and he could be a sneaky fifth outfielder to add. I, I think he's kind of going under the radar right now. Um, Art, I know you're a big Mike Yastrzemski guy. Is there anything you wanted to say about him specifically? Well, I, I wanted to talk about Mike Yastrzemski basically because I I think that he's someone who's who's just riding a little bit of a heater right now. Mike Yastrzemski is a good volume add for you he's going to be hitting lead off for the giants the giants ballpark is playing a little bit more power uh right now than it has been but if you look a little bit beneath the numbers mike yastrzemski who's hitting 409 he's already has two home runs on the season his hard hit percentage is below average his x slugging is below average his x batting average is below average his whiff percentage is below average his x woba is below average the only thing that he has on those savant stats that is even at average is his exit velocity. Here's a guy who I think will be a good volume play because he'll get at bats and he'll get production because he's leading off. But I would not expect to be looking at uh, a 300 season with pop at the end of this one. No, I think it's well said. I think he's been kind of the same player since he's been called up. Just like a very useful fill-in, but no one's. I feel like no one's rushes to get him. Um, the other guy we mentioned here, Kyle Lewis, I said this before, and I'm going to say the same thing again. I'm, I'm going to love riding the hot hand. was a late-round pick for my NFBC team, the triple play fan, NFBC team. He has a 37% strikeout rate right now. That is insane. And the moment he stops making contact is when that's going to be a problem. And you're right now you're, you're, it's not a problem because he's hitting home runs and he's going two for four with a double and a single but he's striking out the other two times. And so it's going a little bit under the radar right now until that strikeout rate comes down. It's only a matter of time to me before he's going to be someone that you're going to be really concerned about and you might have to drop. So if you can sell high on Kyle Lewis right now, his value is not going to be any higher, at least to me. I think you sell them. And if you ride in the high end, just keep riding the hot hand. Hopefully it rides out for a longer portion of the season to where it doesn't matter anymore. So, um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on Kyle Lewis, but, um, that's that was my take on it, at least. Only that K rate, that K rate, you have to sustain such a high BABIP to have anything for a, ba- a batting average with a K rate over 30 to 30. I mean, and 37 is well above 30. So with a 37 percent K rate, you got to talk. You got to be have like a 400 uh, uh, BABIP to hit like 270 or 260. So it's it's it's. It's really hard to sustain. I think you said that well. Once that comes down, he's much more interesting to me. Right. Yeah, uh, and you brought him last week on a sell-high guy, especially in points leads because those strikeouts will hurt you. Yeah, sell-high if you can. A couple young pitchers looking nice. Nice. Nate Pearson, Christian Javier, Dustin May, Brandon Woodruff. These are a couple young studs that have uh, – for the most part, have varying successes in the young major league season. Nice little pun there for you guys. Eric, I'll start with you. Out of those names, is there one in particular that you like? 
Well, you didn't mention him as a young pitcher in this one, but I really like Chris Paddock. I think we saw him get a little bit uh, his innings limited last year because he got called up and they wanted to save his arm. But the Padres are looking really good early in the season, and he, he's thrown a little bit more innings. He has one walk in 11 innings. He's really attacking the strike zone. He's got some good heat on his fastball, and he's getting run support as well. Uh, you know, Eric Hosmer has been hitting pretty hot to begin the year when he hasn't been ill. Uh, Will Myers has picked it up a little bit, Manny Machado as well. Um, and then Nate Pearson looked good against the Nationals through five shutout innings. I think his fastball, a few of them hit 100. Once again, just, you know, I think these young pitchers are, are trying to not psych themselves out and just attack the strike zone. Yeah, you mentioned Nate Pearson. He actually was averaging, he threw as low as 93 and as high as 99 on his fastball. He threw a lot of good changeups and sliders. The one thing I, I do think is he had a couple pitches that I think will get punished by better lineups. And I think he'll eventually be really good. And uh, But I know a lot of people either... If he's a free agent, you have to use Fab. I, I, I'm a little wary on using him in for uh, 10 starts this season. I think he's one of those guys that next year I could envision like a Hastelus Lizardo type of rise in his value. I'm a little concerned that he's going to be learning a little bit during this year and he's not going to be worth the cost of, for Fab. That if, if he's a free agent in your league, if he's a free agent where it doesn't cost anything, then yeah, just add him. But I think that his line looked a little bit better than it would have been if he played like the Yankees or someone. The Nationals without Soda are arguably the worst lineup in baseball. So um, take it with a grain of salt in my eyes. Art, any either you know any of the ones we've mentioned or ones that haven't been mentioned that stuck out for you? I wanted to talk about Brandon Woodruff because he's really opening my eyes to him. I thought that he was being a little bit overdrafted, a little bit overhyped because he really hadn't shown more than just a short spurt from last season. I think he got shut down early. He got shut down early and only pitched 100 and, 120, 130 innings. But in his first two starts, he's looked really, really good. First of all, I wanted to say his velocity is up one tick from 96 to 97. Uh, I mean, that could be just two starts, but that's always a good sign. He's he's 15 to 2 K to walks on the season in his two mm. starts. And, and in 11 innings, he's only given up five hits and two runs. One of the, uh, and that was, uh, he gave up a home run uh, against the Cubs. And um, so he's, he's really impressing. His XBA against him this season is 169. His X Woba is 229. And his X Slugging is 262. That is awesome uh he's throwing a slider a little less uh than he was last season i'm not sure what to make of that maybe it's just the lineups he's been going against but i've been really impressed with how woodruff has started out this season uh he really uh returning the value on that pick i, I remember listening to some people in the preseason saying that he was a top 20 starting pitcher and i thought to myself what are you smoking but now <laughs> now i'm starting to buy are you you're buying what they're smoking? <laughs> Starting to buy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know they talked about that uh, versus the Pirates. He went very heavy off speed, and the, I mean, even if he just has that type of deception a little bit, because I know he was one of those heavy fastball guys. Just all fastballs, they just were moving, and they were concerned that when he lost velocity, he would go through a Matt Harvey type of regression. So it's really nice to see him working some of that other stuff that you were talking about and that his velocity is up. It's just the, the good, nice double combo right there. Yeah, that velocity, uh, that fastball that is so good, it, it can work off of that. And that fastball gives him a nice base to where, uh, it, it, you know, if he has that, if he has the secondary stuff going, you can't sit on the fastball. And then you're confused because that fastball comes at 97 and you've just seen a good sl good slider or a good change, you're not going to catch up to that fastball. It's making him be really tough to hit so far. Right, and, and we touched on Dustin May a little bit already last week, so I, I do want to talk about Christian Javier, who got a start for the Astros yesterday, pitched really well against the Dodgers, and I'm intrigued a little bit by him. Um, he, he has a, a fastball that gets to about 95, 
Um, I want to make the, a really good point first that Nick Pollock of Pitcherless put out a really great article breaking down his whole start. It, it's a must read. And he, he did make a good point that he's a small guy, so he was tiring out as the start went on. He dipped down to about 91 by the end of his start. So you got to wonder if he has the stamina to be able to pitch into a game deep into a game but the curve the fastball curveball combo that he displayed against arguably the best lineup in baseball or at least top three uh it was very it was very good and he was controlling it and there was one strikeout he had against Mookie Betts that Mookie Betts was sitting fastball and he just dropped a nice curve in there or I'm sorry he was looking curveball on the outside and he just dropped a nice inside fastball and Mookie just looked down and knew that he he guessed wrong and it's that's that it's not just the throwing fastballs but it's it's we're talking about the the game that pitching is and, and using your pitch mix and, and having hitters guess and guess wrong. And it looked like that he had the knowledge to be able to have him guess wrong a lot because this stuff didn't look overpowering by any means. It just looked like he knew where to, to put the balls in the strike zone and it looked like he was changing speeds. So I, I think it's someone to keep an eye on. And, you know, he, they have a good offense backing him up and he's a free agent everywhere. So uh, he's, he's, and his schedule, I don't have it in front of me. I believe he plays the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Mariners in his next three starts. So interesting pickup potential right there. Um, I, I would try to get on him sooner rather than later. Maybe you can just bench him if you're curious. And if he does well, then you can just plug him in. But if you wait, he's going to be picked up pretty quickly. You can buy him or you could be by curious about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's an arrested development check. All right, so we're moving next to big-time hitters that are currently doggy paddling this MLB season. Those are the likes of Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Raphael Devers, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Alex Bregman, George Springer, Pete Alonzo, and Shohei Otani are just a list of some of these guys that you're kind of surprised where you're seeing what their numbers are looking like right now. Eric, I know you had some numbers that you wanted to spit out in front of us. So what are, what are some of the, the numbers of guys that are having trouble this season? Well, I look at some early picks. Ronald Acuna is hitting 167, and he doesn't have a home run or RBI yet. Mookie Betts is hitting 200, has about three RBIs. Uh, Cody Bellinger hitting 192. Christian Yelich and George Springer both have one hit on the year, which is a home run, which has helped their fantasy value a little bit. But they're batting 037 and 048. Um, once again, in a short season, you're not going to trade these guys. You're hoping that they just have a slump to begin the week, and hopefully you can win your matchup. You're not going to sell low on these guys because you you paid a high-round pick for them. And I don't know who's going to trade a high pick for, um, you know, the or a lot for these people um, who are struggling right away. So you kind of just have to ride it out. You hope that they're going to turn around. Um, but once again, just the crazy of the 2020 season. Eric, I'm going to ask you, is there any of these hitters that I listed that you're actually concerned about? I think a lot of people are just like waiting for them to turn it around. Is there any you're actually genuinely concerned? Uh, I'm concerned about Raphael Devers, and I was really big on him last year, but he he did have a little bit of a streaky phase. I think losing Mookie hurt. Um, we talked about Ben Attendee being a little overrated last week. I don't think he has the protection in that lineup that he did last year, and I'm a little concerned about Springer. Uh, if you look at the Astros batting lineup as a whole, besides Correa and Michael Brantley, I think everyone else is hitting under 250. And George Springer did run into a wall and uh, was a little bit ginger. So once again, in a 60-game season where every game counts, if he has to sit out a few days or isn't 100%, I'm a little worried. Art, same question for you. It's a list of big guys. Is there any that you're concerned about, or do you think everybody's going to turn it around and it'll be fine? I'm concerned with Shohei Otani at this point. That's the first guy that comes to mind. And I'm concerned for fantasy value because this guy came out, started a game, didn't get any outs, gave up five earned runs. So his pitching is not has not so far looked great. And then you go to his hitting, the other ar- part of his arsenal. He has a 158 batting average, 158 on base percentage. He has a zero percentage walk rate and a 31.6% K rate. Um, so Otani is, is just not giving you value. And when you're, tr- you're having to curate 
your usage of him so much because he's switching off pitching to hitting your, or is he going to actually be pitching after that first start? Can we be even be sure? I think that his value has to have dropped dramatically with this start, not getting walks. He has a little, he's hit one home run on the season. As, as Eric says, that, that does boost your value in this short sample size. But I think that you look at how he's performing, you look at how he pitched in his first time out, you have to wonder if there's something wrong. You have to wonder uh, how uh, how he's managing. Uh, I'm really worried about Shohei Otani because of that. Another guy I'm worried about is Alex Bregman. Now, Alex Bregman's walk rate is is at uh, almost 18%, his, same, as his, uh, same as his strikeout rate. But if you look beneath the numbers, he's hitting 174, which is not good. But then you look at his uh, his uh, savant statistics. His exit velo is in the ninth percentile. His hard hit percentage is in the fourth percentile. His ex batting average is in the ninth percentile. His ex slugging is in the nineteenth percentile. These are abysmal rates for Alex Bregman. He has to pick it up. This is a guy who I think, if you believe in him. You're probably not going to be able to nab him at what at his current performance value, and uh, so so you I I'm not sure what you do with him because he's basically a first round pick. You're not going to trade him for for pennies on the dollar or a quarter on the dollar. Uh, you got to hold on to him and hope that he turns it around. But I'm really concerned with how he has started off, especially when you look beneath the numbers. That's well said. I, I don't think I can add anything from what you guys said. So let's move. Go ahead. Wait, can I just add one thing about Otani? Art, I really like what you said about that. And I think Otani's value got really hyped up from the first week of baseball in 2018, where he won his major league pitching debut when he allowed three runs over six innings. And then homered in his first at bat uh, in his home, in the Angels home opener, and then a, hit a homer the next night. I think just because of the upside that he had and that one really good week, you think that that's what you, you can get out of him more consistently. But I think it's more of an anomaly than anything else, looking at how the rest of his career has been. Yeah, again, I Otani is the name that came out to me most on this list. And I heard people were saying that he might be pressing a little bit from the pitching side, um, that it's, it's a very big mental thing that can maybe take effect to his hitting as well. So... He hit his first home run yesterday. We'll see if that's a sign that maybe that turns it around for him. But in 60 games, there's not much turnaround time. You got it, It's not like you have a whole season to fix these mistakes. So we'll keep an eye on all these guys. On the other end of the spectrum, we have the Rocky Balboas, these guys that are like boxers throwing right hooks and, and left jabs. These guys are hitting. That's Nelson Cruz, Joey Votto, Corey Seager, Whit Merrifield, even Mikel Franco's getting in on the action. And crushing the ball. So, Art, I'll start with you for this question. Either any of the names I read, or is there a hitter that you're just like, wow, holy balls. Like, they're here and they're staying. I I love Whit Merrifield to start this season. Uh, he's, he's, he's not walking or striking out, but he's hitting 391. He already has two home runs, six runs, and seven RBIs. His XBA is in the 97th percentile. His XWOBA is in the 96th percentile. His XLUG is in the 95th percentile. This is uh, this is a guy who has just come out and he's ready to play. He has a stolen base already. He has the two home runs. He's playing second base. What more could you want? Uh, Whit Merrifield is someone who has come out and and to me uh, is is outperforming his his draft stock, which. Frankly, after last season was a bit depleted, but I'm very mm-hmm. happy to see Whit Merrifield back on his feet and and really raking to start the season. Well said. I, I I was the as much as I'm sure Art you were as well. Like if he's not running, what's his value? Because he was he was getting older, his stolen bases were going down, didn't really kill it anywhere else. Average, you know, maybe hit like two eighty, but wasn't wasn't anything special. And then he's just proven all of us wrong. Yeah, he's Eric, having a great start. I, I, I agree with you. I was there. I was not looking to draft him at his draft spot this year. Mm-hmm. Right. Eric, what about anybody stick out for you? I know you kind of mentioned him a little bit before, but if you want to uh, talk about him again, I, I'm all for hearing more about the guy you're going to mention. 
Well, there's two, um, and the guy that I'm going to mention that you think is Nelson Cruz. I think he's the guy that everybody plans to write off each year that, oh, he's the guy, this is the year that he finally slows down. I mentioned that he's had the first, the most total bases in the first three games of a season for somebody over 40 years old. He had the most home runs in the 2010 decade. So he, he's been around for a while, and he's hitting in a great lineup. You know, the, the Twins, I know, are kind of a home run or strikeout lineup, but Josh Donaldson, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Mitch Garver is a good hitting catcher. And then I like Michael Brantley as well. He wasn't on that 2017 Astros team that cheated. He's been someone that's kind of been plagued from uh, a little bit by injuries in his career. But he's batting 435. He's had a hit in every game. He's had a run in every game except one. He has a stolen base on the year. He has a homer. I think he's he's the definition of a professional hitter. And hopefully when the Astros, the rest of them pick up the, you know, their hitting, um, you know, he only benefits more from that. I also, speaking of professional hitters, another guy on this list, Joey Votto. Is, is, is anybody, I mean, is that name more shocking to anybody else? I mean, gosh, I mean, this guy looked like he was left for dead. And he's now arguably in one of the top lineups in baseball, and, and he's producing. He's hitting home runs. He's still hitting for a high average, and he's getting on base. I mean, he's he looks like Joey Votto, old Joey Votto on steroids. And I'm not don't mean that <laughs> he actually is on steroids, but uh, he's someone that caught my eye. And another guy on this list, Corey Seager, who I think everybody was giving him that failed prospect pedigree. But you have to remember, he had hip and shoulder surgery in the same offseason two years ago. And he came into that year coming off of two surgeries, and his numbers diminished. But he had a full offseason after that to now get back to being healthy. And he's leading the the whole entire major leagues in hard-hit ball percentage this year. Uh, he's just His exit velocity on the balls he's hitting are in the well in the 100s. It's insane. Even some of the, the singles he's hitting – um, the guy looks locked in and he's in a dangerous, potent lineup and people that were able to get Corey Seager at a discount. And I was one of those people that was able to snag him in a league at a discount. We're smiling right now. And I didn't expect that he was going to look this good, but he's, he was better than he was last year. And I think a lot of people feel that Corey, that, that our Corey Seager believers in a way kind of were banking that he wouldn't be worse than last year. So uh, a couple guys just wanted to highlight there. I don't yeah, know. He's only got- he's only 26 years old. I think we wrote him off the way that we write Ben Attendee off now. Of okay, we just don't saw say flashes. that name. Don't say <laughs> that name on this podcast. <laughs> but he's going to be an average player. But you're right. Had had a couple injury plague seasons. I mean, he had Tommy John surgery, and he's still 26. He can still have a great career ahead of him. Right. All right. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. No, I just I, I, I like Seager. Um, I've liked him especially especially at his draft slot because he was going. I think he was going way too high in the previous years, and this year he dropped way too low uh, because of the depth at shortstop. But uh, I love how Corey Seager started. I also love, and I'm just gonna. I don't know. I'm just gonna say this. Uh, when Justin Mason was on talking about Corey, I, I hate Corey Seager. I. I said Justin Mason, I love Corey Seager. And you know what? You know, no one cares. But, but Justin Mason, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling out Justin Mason. I'm taking a victory lap. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to add him on the episode drop. No, please. You guys can't see this, but Art just, you guys can't see this, but Art just took off his shirt and shotgun to beer. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's move to our next category. Folding pocket aces. Sounds crazy, right? Well, these aces have been folding this year. Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber, Walker Bueller, Steven Strasburg. Two of these four are potentially out for the season. Walker Bueller and Steven Strasburg. Walker Bueller is not hurt. He's getting built up. Didn't look great in his first start. Strasburg still has yet to pitch. Guys, if you own, I'm going to take Verlander and Kluber out of the equation. Verlander maybe will come back this year. Kluber sounds like he's done. Let's look at Walker Bueller and Steven Strasburg. Art, I'll start with you. Are you concerned about either of these guys? Are you, do you feel good about both of them? What are your thoughts on these two aces? I'm concerned with Steven Strasburg because of his history uh, and coming out <clears throat> with the season starting late and, 
and having trouble to start the season. I'm concerned that this is a guy where the Nationals might not have the success that they have had, so he might not have the motivation to come out and really perform like they had when they were going to the playoffs last year. I think that uh, I'm concerned that Strasburg might look at this as a sign of a lost season. He's got that big contract. He's not feeling well. There's all this uh, controversy controversy about uh, coronavirus. The Nationals aren't going to go to Miami for this or that. You know, the, everything to me says that this is a situation to be wary of. Uh, Strasburg scares the bejesus out of me. Can't disagree with you there, Eric. What about you? Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about Strasburg, and to me, what's kind of interesting is I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but I'm interested if, if the heat that the fact that we're starting games in July when it's 90 consistently every day rather than in April when it's 60 or 70, um, you know, if, if these players are fatiguing quicker, I think that they have a lot on their mind breathing in the masks in the dugout and probably aren't staying hydrated. And, you know, once again, it's hard to prove if that's going to lead to Verlander's forearm strain or Corey Kluber tearing a muscle in his shoulder. But it seems that their bodies are more fragile. And like Art said with Strasburg, he has a history of injuries. Uh, he just got paid. The Nationals aren't performing well. Um, and with nerve irritation as well, that's something where I feel like it's harder to detect and it could come back. With Walker Bueller, he had 56 pitches in his first outing, so you hope that he goes a little bit longer. And hopefully he has more favorable matchups because I think the Astros was a tough first draw for him. I want to just – breaking news, I think – Mike Trout is on the IL. And he's on the paternity why. list. Is he? Oh, they put him on the paternity list just now. That shows. That goes to show how much I know. Okay. Let's <laughs> ignore my breaking news. Uh, let's move to our next one then. Questionable pitchers. I think that need some love. And starting with me, with one of these guys, I'm talking about. Lance Lynn and Tyler Glass now. Lance Lynn has had back-to-back quality starts without a run. Can you guys name the only pitcher that has had three straight quality starts to begin a season and they were all shutouts? Cliff Lee. No. Do you, can you give me a time period? Is it recent? It's, yeah, it's within the last uh, 10 years. Uh, I, Clayton Kershaw. Incorrect, it is James Paxton. There's your trivia ah. for the day. But Lance Lynn, I am the king of pooping on Lance Lynn. I think Tyler Glass now, people were believer of his stuff, but they weren't sure if he would stay healthy or, or how he would look in his second year. So, Eric, I want to start with you with these two guys. I'll, I'll talk about Lance Lynn at the end a little bit. But either of these two guys, what are your thoughts on them? Because I feel like that they were kind of they weren't given the love that they deserve. Yeah, well, Tyler Glass now looks really good last year. I think he had a 187 ERA before he had a forearm strain of his own. And you look at that, that uh, who they play in the, the division, and the Red Sox aren't hitting as well. The Orioles are kind of a last-place team. Um, you know, they should have been facing the Marlins. So you hope that he stays healthy in that 60-game season. But Kevin Cash is really good at managing his pitchers. Uh, unfortunately, not Nick Anderson. Just had to get that in there. Uh-huh. And – and for Lance Lynn, I mean, he he threw a lot in because barring him getting bombed, he's going to be able to go six, seven innings consistently. And I think he's really found a home in Texas. Uh, I think it help, also helps being in a pitcher's ballpark where the dimensions are pushed back and there's less homers. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, with these pitchers, you just hope that it, it, they keep it up because it's, it's always cool to see new guys, you know, lead the league or – you know, take home a Cy Young award. That's fair. Art, what do you think about these two guys? Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Lance Lynn. He was the best draft value. I I missed him because I was playing it too cute and I should have reached a little above his draft value, but I missed him. So I, I think Lance Lynn was the best draft value coming into this year as far as starting pitching. Glass, now I, I was I was uncertain of him at his value because I think I'm not quite yet 
cured of my uncertainty with Tyler Glass now, but I'm starting to be because uh, he only went four innings. He threw 72 pitches, but he struck out nine and only gave up one hit, a home run. Uh, he's a, like I said, he's a two pitch pitcher. 96% of his pitches are the four seam and the curve. So normally I'd look at that and say, well, this guy, man, he'll make a great closer someday. But if you produce, you produce. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm not going to tell people who were touting him to, I'll say, don't take a victory lap yet. But he came out and he looked just like he, like he started right where he left off at the beginning of last season. Yeah. I mean, I, I Lance, uh, uh, speaking again of Lance Lynn, I, I just, I, I was the biggest anti Lance Lynn guy, just waiting for him to fall back to earth. And, <laughs> he, he's just he he just figured out how to pitch that works for him he uses almost all fastballs they have great movement he barely throws any off-speed stuff he just attacks you with it and it's working and once to me once you've done it for a season plus like i'm i'm, I'm in now i'm all in if lancelin keeps it up apologize this year, david apologize to lancelin <laughs> say no, sorry I don't want to give you the satisfaction of ever seeming like I'm apologizing where you can see me. I'll send him a DM. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to our last topic. We'll talk on this show because we're getting a little long. Closer chaos. Casey bullpen's a mess. Seattle bullpen is a mess. Toronto bullpen is a mess. Tampa Bay bullpen's a mess. Cleveland bullpen's a mess. The Cubs bullpen, Art's beloved Cubs bullpen is a mess. Guys, what do you make of, of all this? Art, I want to ask you specifically about the, the Cubs bullpen because right now you have someone in at closer who should not be closing games. So what do you think about the Chicago bullpen right now? It's the old pray for rain situation with the <laughs> Cubs bullpen. Uh, the Cubs offense, thankfully, is coming out the gates humming because and – the, and the starting – you know, the starting staff is already depleted with Quintana down. Um the bullpen is just, it's just a hot mess. Uh, you know, uh, Kimbrell's one, one appearance. He walked four guys, uh, walked the bases loaded, basically. Uh, hit and, two and, batters. Yeah, hit two batters. He was, he was awful. Uh, his, his velocity was good. Uh, thankfully, that's something you can hang your hat on. Uh, then we went, oh, no, this is awful. We're going to lose this game. Let's go to Jeremy Jeffress. He didn't look that <laughs> great either. He didn't look that great either. Um, and, and speaking of Votto, he was the last batter, uh, two outs. Jeffress puts one in the zone, and Votto just – he just ripped it right at Ian Happen center field. So it was like, okay, whew, got out of that one. But – None of these guys are looking good. We're we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be using band aid to to uh, to keep this bullpen together all season, and it's probably gonna be what uh, what sinks us if we are sunk. God, I, I the Cubs were just like they had such a bad bullpen. Shut up and now, take but... my money to Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> Eric, is there uh, any of the bullpens I listed or one that you want to specifically speak of? I mean, you have. The Cleveland bullpen with an aging Brad Hand, and you have James Karinichek just balling out right now. Tampa Bay, where you have Oliver Drake get two saves, and then he comes in the sixth inning in his next appearance. Seattle doesn't have a closer. Kansas City, you think it's Greg Holland? You think it's uh, you think it's Trevor Ian Rosenthal? Kennedy. And then it's there's Ian Kennedy. It's it's a it's a giant mess. So, is there any of those bullpens that you are particularly frustrated with? Well, I think you mentioned all of them, and, you know, Brad Hand blew his first save of the season yesterday, so maybe he'll have a little bit of a shorter leash. He did give up three earned in, I think, less than an inning. But just like with everything else that we've been talking about, I mean, this this season is chaos. I think you're the go-to guys. I think if you have a guy that struggles once, maybe twice, but still gets the saves but is a little shaky, I think you're going to see – uh, managers be a little more hesitant to put him in that they might go with the seventh, eighth inning guy that has been pitching clean innings that might not have the reputation of a closer, but has put 
performing better so far on the year. So it's just something to watch out. I think you're going to see a lot of add and drops of people. You know, we didn't mention that Jose Leclerc tore his his uh, shoulder as well. Mm-hmm. So I think you're just going to see a lot of rotating bullpens this year. And if you're playing fantasy, I think you got to be active because you could get a closer from the waiver wire and, you know, he get you a good source of saves for a few weeks plus. That This is exactly why I'll if I do take closers, I'll take a high-end closer and then I won't worry about them for a while or I'll just stay completely away because there's, there's so much, like, revolving doors with closers. It's not worth, to me, using a lot of draft picks on them. In a, in a regular season, uh, I definitely stay away from drafting closers. In a shortened season, I did draft high-end ones to try to get guaranteed saves because they mean that much more. But this is just an example of just how much... And in, in this day and age... Uh, they're called like mad scientists, all the managers that don't like having one guy. It's closer by committee. They want to have three or four guys they can go to. The other team doesn't know who's going to come in the ninth and it gives, they can play the matchups and it's, it's just, it's crazy for fantasy owners. I get it from real baseball perspective, but for fantasy, it's incredibly frustrating. Well, I have my rant. Anything we touched upon guys, I I think we, we kind of covered everything pretty well. Yeah, I think uh, just just glad that baseball's back, and you know it's such a a day to day, week to week sport. We could be talking about you know the struggling hitters that are blazing hot next week, and you know the pitchers that started really well coming back to earth. So yeah, we will see. But before we end the show, question of the week. <laughs> Our question this week: What is the best ballpark feature? in Major League Baseball. So this could be any part of a ballpark or surrounding the ballpark, anything that makes that ballpark unique. Eric, lead us off. So I'm going to go an honorable mention to the Green Wall in, or uh, the Green Monster in Fenway. You just call it the I Green Wall? There. No, <laughs> you are going next. Art, go ahead and go first. Okay. <laughs> um, being a Cubs fan... I'm really tempted to say the Ivy on the outfield as the uh, best ballpark feature. And I love it. Um, Walking into Wrigley Field to me is like walking into a cathedral. It feels like a religious experience. But I got to go with the green monster myself because uh, the times I've been to Fenway Park, the monster is such an intimidating thing when you're there. It, 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 It it takes up your attention. You walk in, it makes the ballpark seem tiny because it is just looming over you as you're walking to your seat. Uh, and, and since they put seats on the top of it, they've made it this, this attraction as well where you can sit up there and be you know, 30, some 40 feet up in the air watching the game. I think that it is the most iconic ballpark feature in all of baseball. And to me, uh, it adds uh, so much ambience to the ballpark. It adds, uh, it adds the fan to the fan experience. And I, and I have to think that playing the game, it, it adds something, maybe, maybe, uh, some sort of a factor for the players as well. Eric, I think you took yours. So do you have a backup? Well, I was going to give that an honorable mention before I say my own because I did a tour of it last year, and they have turned the seating area at on top of the Green Monster to kind of like a, a bougie area where you're getting a nice aerial view. They have, um, you know, kind of closed off to where uh, they have their own um, places where you can get food. So it, I think it would be a really cool place to sit. But for me, it's the bridge in center field at PNC Park. I've never been there, and that's one of the places I want to go next. But from a lot of people that have seen baseballs, it's the best view. I'm just imagining as a fan sitting behind home plate and just seeing that beautiful atmosphere in the background. Um, so for me, that's it. Good answers, both you guys. I wanted to think a little bit outside the box or outside the park, if you will. And McCovey Cove in for the Giants Stadium – AT&T Park, I think it's... Oracle, you nit. Oh, Oracle. <laughs> David, you go next. Oh, wait, there's nobody else. All right. I knew that was Segment coming. Segment over. Segment over. Uh, I think it's cool because you have people in paddle boats in the water waiting for home run balls to be hit, and they'll dive in the water to go get them. 
And then if you're a hitter, you're like, I want to hit the ball into McCovey Cove. Like, it's like a goal to hit it there. And so I think it's it's a really cool attraction for the fans and for the hitters. To, and they also, I mean, that ballpark also has the triple alley, which is kind of cool as well. But I think that the McCovey Cove, especially if you're thinking all the Bar- Barry Bonds balls that went in McCovey Cove, is just like, it sounds very iconic to me. Definitely. And, and, and uh, sitting out there in a kayak would be fun, I think. You know, having a few brews with the uh, with the other kayakers out there, that would be a fun time. Yeah, until that ball in the water. Until that ball goes out there, and then you guys turn into enemies chasing the ball. <laughs> well, no game this week, like we said, but we were able to cover a lot of what's been going on. First week of baseball season, first full week. A lot of things are going to change into this next week. And I mean, we just got an announcement before the show that we're speaking about the doubleheaders, so. Things will get very interesting, but we have a lot of exciting shows coming up this season. We have two great guests coming on next week that we're excited for to you guys to see. So stay tuned for that. Or anything you want to say to the players before we get out of here? Just don't be like the Marlins. Uh, wear your masks and uh, don't go to strip club with 20 of your friends. Wise words from Little Cheesecake. Eric. Hashtag free Joe Kelly. He already threw a ball uh, when he was uh, practicing in spring training and broke a window. He's been through enough this year. Unsuspend him. And I'm going to say hashtag fire Manfred. (laughs) And I'm going to say hashtag D-Mendy is ugly. (laughs) Says the guy wearing a gray tank top. That people can't see. Trana trash. <laughs> Says the guy with the ugly laugh that people can't see. Pasty ghost. Can you see a laugh? Didn't think so. On that note, we will catch you guys next week. Looking forward to talking with you all and seeing who we have for you. Until then, I'm D Mendy. Catch y'all then. Fifteen followers away, you guys. Jeez. We're growing like the coronavirus. <laughs> that's going that's going before the that's going before the, the episode. <laughs>